How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? CuriosityStream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com gift. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hi guys and welcome to another edition of the Custard TV. It is me, Matt, here. Joining me uh, in the bank holiday spirit as I look at a rainy landscape outside my window. We have Dawn in Scotland, very used to the rain. Yeah, depressingly so. It's pretty much the same here. I had the heating on last night and tomorrow is me. That's ridiculous. Come on. There's a cold wind this year, which I don't I don't appreciate. Yeah. The sun comes out, but it's still a little chilly. We are doing that British thing about talking about the weather. Sarah Kennedy is also here. Are you on the countdown to Eurovision semi-final attendance? I am. I don't know what to wear. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know who's performing on your night? Is it I saw Rita yes, is it Rita Aura? I think I might have a little investigate as to what I'm, I can expect, but also I'm going to go with an open mind and just enjoy it. I'm not going to get to Eurovision anal about it like some people do. I normally am that person, but I'm so behind this year in who's got like what, you know, normally I'm the person, oh, you need to check out George's entry because it's wacky. and the, I'm afraid the... that all the wacky ones will be in semi-final two and I'll just see all of the piano ballads and that will make me really <laughs> sad. This could be a podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. This week, we will be reviewing Amazon's massively budgeted thriller Citadel, uh, a new adaptation of Henry Fielding's Tom Jones, which is coming to ITVX. We are going to talk about Jury Duty, which has been on Amazon Freebie for the last few weeks, but uh, it's one people have been talking about, so we thought we'd look at it. And we will also be celebrating the coronation uh, by looking at the special episode of Channel 4 comedy, The Windsors. Uh, But first, we will be doing our What Have We Been Watching? And before we started recording, Sarah Kennedy told us she had a list. So off you go, Sarah. Hi, yes, I'm very organised this week. (laughs) Let me give you the headlines and then we can go deeper if you're interested in any of these things. Inside number nine and the trouble that Reese Shearsmith's foot caused me this week. Uh, I've binged Colin from Accounts in two sittings, but I was uncomfortable with the sort of slight nod to Accountsy storyline that never that sort of fizzled out. Um, and then my um, comfort TV has been going back to old episodes of Community. Colin from Accounts, go for it. Let us, uh, Dawn, have you finished? I'm assuming you've I, finished yeah, watching it as yeah. well, yeah. I did the um, same thing, yeah. I imagine it was completely up Dawn Street. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, it's> totally. <laughs> and the more I watched, oh no! <laughs> For for listeners, Dawn has turned upside down. (laughs) We can now see Dawn's ceiling, which has got a very beautiful light feature. Like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Dawn's life got flipped, turned upside down. It did. Oh, that's (laughs) really nice. Oh, I'm so sorry. That was just... I think think we need to release a video for this week. (laughs) I don't know what I've done. (laughs) Try turning your camera off and on again. Okay, let's try that. Hey, there we go. I saw myself. Oh. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Sorry. I crossed my legs and I caught the wire on my, my phone and pulled it right off. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I pulled it right off. Yes, calling from accounts is definitely right up my street. I was a bit disappointed, though, that we didn't get to see, obviously, clearly a voyeur. And I w- wanted to see more of them getting together. You know, they obviously they took a decision that most of that happens off screen. So I was a bit like, eh, I wanted more of that. 
but the comedy was brilliant and the development of the characters and their backstory. But as you say, I agree with you, Sarah, about the, the cancer storyline never kind of went any place. It was like a, a contrivance to stop the lead characters having sex on that one night to make it more uncomfortable than it already was and it was already super uncomfortable. It was an emotional beat and it was a little jokey bedroom thing that end. Okay, fine, maybe it's raising awareness, but also it was just a little bit icky. And this is from a show where a man picked up a human poo in a dog bag, you know, <laughs> and that was actually, the cancer <laughs> thing was actually more icky to me. <laughs> Hopefully there's a second series in the pipeline because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more fun to be had with these characters. So I guess we'll see what happens. My major disappointment, though, was the very final scene where they're off to get the dog back and to make a small girl cry. And I was really looking forward to that. And then the credits rolled. (laughs) (laughs) And what were your thoughts on Inside Number... We talked about it last time, the first Inside Number 9. I was very pleased to see that Twitter liked it. I may have referred to it in my review, whynow.co.uk, as a workmanlike episode. Wasn't great, wasn't bad, was fine i think that was sort of where i was on it as well it was all the things you would expect from inside number nine were in there the macabre elements the wacky supporting Um, characters the sort of pantomime day moment yeah Mm. but you would hope i mean i haven't i know dawn's watched episode two which you know i have as well yeah yeah uh which we may talk about can you say it because no. it's the <laughs> the title is the phobia of Friday the thirteenth, um, and I like that one a lot more. Again, that's both in classic Inside Number Nine mould, but I liked that one a lot more. Dawn, what about you? What have you been? I've just into? been keeping up with the shows that I'd started watching, so I haven't watched anything new this week. Race Across the World, the last episode of The Cleaner, a few episodes behind on Picard, so uh, we're reaching the end of that. So I actually haven't watched very much, no. I'm, I'm feeling. <laughs> I'm, I'm really the same as you. I mean, what do we think to this week's succession? I was quite late to the party on it. Um, so I'd seen everyone sort of praising Kieran Culkin's yeah. performance in it. I, th- I mean, I can see why, you know, they've moved Kieran Culkin to the category of lead actor for the Emmys. So, you know, obviously, once you remove Logan, then him and, and Kendall and Shiv do become fully the leads. I think Kieran Culkin, I mean, I make no bones about it. Roman, you know, was one of my favourite. I really don't care about Kendall. I'm, I'm really bad about <laughs> Of all the characters, he's the one I care about less. Yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I don't understand any of the business stuff. <laughs> when they're talking about all this mergers stuff. Mergers and... Mergers and, yeah, and ATN. We're going to keep ATN. We're going to give them ATN and the numbers that we're talking about. I had no idea what any of that is about. All I follow it for is the interpersonal drama. Mm. And I love that. I um, think a lot and... of people are in the same yeah. boat, really. More Jerry in the last couple of weeks yeah. as well for you, Dawn. Yes, and I think the, the episode that's on tonight from the promo photos they've released, it looks like it's a big episode for Jerry and there's a big scene uh, with her and Roman having a shouting match so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah Race Across the World is the only other thing I've watched as well Mm -hmm. so where are you on like in terms of how you're feeling about it because we talked about it last week and how the race element was on the back burner because they all had to get the same buses. Do you you watch it as well Sarah? Yeah Yeah, I'm up to date with it and actually this week I think I've seen it mentioned more on Twitter. Nearer the end now I believe but as we said last week it's more about their budgets than it is about how far ahead they are because it looks like you know anytime anyone gets a lead they lose it quite quickly and yeah everyone has had a different win apart from one couple who've, who've won twice I think. Kevin and Claudia won the first leg, but by like 10 minutes or something, didn't they? And then they got that massive lead last episode, but won. I think the first round, Kevin and Claudia won, but everyone got there around the same time. And then they had yeah. that massive. But and anyone who's had like sort a... of like 24, 25 hours mm-hmm. ahead, aren't they? But that does seem to dwindle almost immediately. Because yeah. Trisha and Kathy had that massive lead in the first round. But then you're like, you're not going to maintain that lead because you all have to get on the same train at the end. And- I, I was really confused by that because there was that one where they were 22 hours ahead, but they all had to leave at the same time. So they mm. lost it before they'd even left. But then yeah. the next one, 
they all left at their staggered times. Yeah, no, Patricia and Kathy left early when they got the advantage, but the point was that they would have lost it because they all had to get on the same train at the same time. Oh, yeah, and there's so only, like, even, one every two Even days. if they got to the station, like, mm. a day early, yeah, they still would have... Yeah, whereas, like, the last two, you know, Kevin and Claudia won and Zainab and Mabine have won this last leg. Mm. But everyone seemed to get screwed over this time because of the Grand Prix being in Montreal or something. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first series I've watched in full because I think all of the couples are really sort of intriguing and stuff. Mm. And I think the focus this week on Zainab and Mabine and their struggles to have a baby, and I think that was, they've sort of, padded out these sort of emotional stories for the mm. characters so you know you're not getting a sob story every week like when mm. laddie was talking about growing up in care and i thought that was very personal story yeah. as well yeah. you know? it does feel more organic it's mm. not x factor where everyone has to tell a sad story on week one and it comes out like when they are asked whether that was a prompted question or not when they're asked about you know, have you got any children? Have you been trying? That's when it comes out. Oh, no, that family looked very into that. They mm. were like too open. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. they all seemed very, very keen on kids. So I think mm. that felt quite natural. And I would have jumped out of a window. Or, I know you weren't a fan of this. The religious ones from a few weeks ago. I know I saw on Twitter, Sarah had some issues. <laughs> yeah. that. There are Muslims in North America yeah. with a religious Christian family. Are they going to get out alive? Never mind the guy, like, in episode two or three, who was this hulking mass of a man that we thought was going to kill them, you know. They actually asked, are you yeah, going to kill them? Yeah. Well, presumably oh, not, because he had to sign a release the, with before. With the fish in the back of the car, you got to watch. I really hope, though, it doesn't come down to a foot race for the sake of poor Trisha and Cathy. I feel that would, as ableist, and I'm, I will complain. Oh, <laughs> they went down the stairs and then had to go and back up got, the stairs oh, again. <laughs> These are the women who got trapped in the park for three hours at the start of the I show. I mean, yeah, we, we did have an inkling of how this was going to go. <laughs> Before we uh, get on to the reviews, let's do the plug. Sarah, you already mentioned where you can find some of your writings. You want to just That's go into right, a little bit yeah. more detail. I've got a couple of things up on whynow.co.uk. Review of the first episode of Inside Number 9. And I've also got a review of the third series of Guilt, which is back and aired last week and then also i've got an interview about black ops which will be up shortly before broadcast dawn you re- you recorded a, a shipyard recently i uploaded it it is there to be seen about ted lasso mostly we just talked about some uh, ted lasso in general it was a bit of a warm-up podcast it's not too deep yeah that's at the shipyard ust on uh YouTube and Spotify and wherever you get your podcast. So do you just go into all the different ships in, in Ted Lasso? It, it was mostly about Ted and Rebecca and this whole thing with Rebecca and the, the Dutchman that she meets in that. Yeah, age. a ship on is, a ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is he her destined soulmate or is this another misdirect? And what they're doing in terms of this whole dropping little bits of, of, of her readings from the from the psychic you know bits of it are coming true but but they all have all come true with a different man so is that telling her you're on the path to your happiness or is it something completely different luke has asked me to write something about ted lasso so it will probably be up it might be up by the time i this goes live uh, about the current state of of the show and what it's doing mid-season so Mm. um because I don't see the Ted and Rebecca thing at all as a as a ship, but I, obviously there's people who who read yeah. into that relationship. As I say, I think it's uh, Roy Kent and Jamie Tart are the are the ship <laughs> in Ted Lasso. Yeah. If you look I, at their arc from where they started. To where yes, they that's are, exactly what we see. Yeah, they are so happy together. Yes, they've had the biggest character growth, especially Jamie. And how much they have changed each other, which is what mm. is traditional in a ship. You know, how much they've had an influence on each other rather than change. And their emotional connection. I think it's probably the best written ship of the show. And I don't know what they're doing with poor Keely and Roy. Sorry to get onto a Ted Lasso tangent, but no. what are they doing with no, Keely? I'm so glad that you have, because I had questions to ask. But obviously <laughs> I haven't watched the most recent one, well. I have to say. I'm, only watched, I'm up to the Sunflowers episode. But what... Oh, well, the- the most recent one is, is even more confusing about the whole Keely and Jack mm. thing. 
when they split up Keely and Roy, I didn't like it. Don't like unnecessary splitting up. But I could see that the point is it's Roy's doing and it's his issues with himself. And Keely didn't have it. And yet the entire focus has been on Keely since then and what she's doing. But also the fact that they've basically set her adrift from everyone. Yes, she should yeah. have her own business, whatever, but she's not interacting with these people that make the show and it's suffering for it. And <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know the point they're trying to make with Keely and Jack. It seems like. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Tis the season for chicken fingers at Raisin Cane's. Warm up with hand-battered, cooked-to-order chicken fingers, crispy, crinkle-cut fries, garlicky, buttered Texas toast, and the real source of holiday magic, cane sauce. And while you're treating yourself, don't forget to treat everyone on your list to Kane's gift cards and New York City-inspired plush puppies that benefit pet organizations. Happy holidays from Raising Kane's Chicken Fingers. One love. It's going to turn out that Jack is a bit toxic. Or is Rebecca just projecting her relationship with Rupert onto her? It's really hard well, to tell. It's interesting, isn't it, that the word love bombing was used in the yeah. last episode. Sorry for the spoilers for you. Nah. Hasn't that come out in legislation over the past couple of weeks that love bombing is dangerous, needs to be watched out for in the context of a um, manipulative relationship? Stalking. This is sort of the job I do. So, oh, <laughs> a lot of yeah. of so you're, you're aware of like upcoming legislation. Yeah, mm. I think that was it was in the news recently as as very much a a bad thing something to be on your guard against so yeah that was quite interesting i must be the only person who was not bothered about the sunflowers episode again it I, felt if you like... listen to last week's podcast sarah i was <laughs> okay, me and matt were not charmed by it <laughs> my thing was there was too much going on there was just too many stories they needed to speak to be little tiny pockets that weren't working together like nothing yeah. came together but I I loved Trent's storyline and I didn't know this from the show, but I saw it on Twitter later, that they're sitting in an area of the canals that is set aside for memorials to gay people who've died, which I thought was cool. But I think only if you know, then that would have affected your opinion. There's of almost the too time. many Easter eggs in Ted Lasso. <laughs> there is, isn't there? Yeah. Okie dokie. I think we should start the reviews now, guys. Um... <laughs> We just want to talk about weird bits in Ted Lasso. Ex ex executive decision. <laughs> Let us start with one of the big shows of the week, I would say, which is Citadel. This is $300 million. Oh, really? <laughs> budget into this. With this and the Lord of the Rings series, I think the Prime Video have like the two most expensive TV shows. I think per episode, because this is only a six episode series, I think they've worked it out that it's like the most expensive TV series, just based on sort of per minute or something like that. This, um, as I said, is a spy series. This is sort of like the main series. And then there's going to be sort of offshoots in different countries in those languages. So I think there's an Indian series. I think there's a Italian series. And this is also executive produced by the Russo brothers, who were the big brains behind the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the sort of the latter Marvel films that everybody loves, but also did uh, Community, did the paintball episodes of Community. And this starts on a train. We meet Nadia, who is agent for the titular spy group Citadel. She's about to intercept a Russian scientist and he's planning to sell uranium to the highest bidder. Also on the train is a fellow agent, Mason Kane. Now, they've got a previous romantic relationship. I believe they were married at some stage, but I don't know if the first episode tells us that. I think it strongly implies they were sort of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. He says he's been brought in as backup for her. Uh, but eventually, after the obligatory action scenes, it's revealed that the whole mission has been a setup. 
there's a um, double agent in Citadel who's revealed the identities of all the agents to Manticore, who are this super evil organisation arranged by the eight richest families in the world who are trying to bring down like Citadel, who are this sort of super independent spy group to steal all the secrets and be evil, basically, is how I understood it. So the opening sequence ends with the train exploding, which isn't uh, surprising because Mason is played by Richard Madden and we know what he's like with trains, anyone who saw Bodyguard. (laughs) Nadia is presumed dead. She goes missing. Mason survives uh, but has amnesia. Um, He has all the identity on him for Kyle Conroy, which is one of his uh, spy aliases. Obviously, the doctors can't track down any Kyle Conroys. We then flash forward eight years later. Mason is living as Kyle, living sort of the all-American life uh, with his lovely wife, Abby, and their sort of picture-perfect daughter, Hendrix. However, he's still having flashbacks of the explosion. I keep seeing Nadia's face. Uh, He goes to his therapist who suggests that he run his DNA through a system, see if he can find any relatives, like DNA technology has improved. The DNA check is flagged up by the only remaining agent for Citadel, uh, Bernard, who is played brilliantly by Stanley Tucci, chewing all the scenery around him. He basically kidnaps Mason and his family, taking him to an underground location he says is for their own safety. After revealing the truth to Mason, he tells him he needs uh, Mason's help to stop Manticore from getting their hands on Citadel files, uh, which will reveal the locations of most of the nuclear weapons in the world. Whilst Mason agrees to this, uh, we see the final scene flashing back to eight years earlier, showing us that Nadia survived the explosion and sort of swam off into the unknown. The big baddie is played by Leslie Manville, also loving life in this. I've never seen anyone menacingly prune roses as, as she's <laughs> well, I'll go through my thoughts in a minute but let's let's start with uh with Dawn what did you make of this Dawn opening stuff with the train goes on for ages and it's the kind of thing I find boring I find fisty fight hand on hand fighting dull hand like, on yeah, hand yeah. hand on hand <laughs> yeah like some wars that's hand on hand now, like that would be interesting <laughs> Clearly, my brain is not working. Fisticuffs is the only thing I can think of, and that doesn't quite describe it. Hand-to-hand combat is Hand-to-hand combat, thank you. Yeah, that kind of stuff just bores me, and I'm like, yeah, get finished fighting so we can get to talking. So I was like, blah, 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 this is boring. And then Leslie Manville came on screen as a, uh, a baddie, and I was like, ooh, now I'm interested. She's fabulous in it. She's clearly channeling Mrs. Thatcher, I watched the second episode as well to sort of get try and get a better handle on it. And she's just, she's fabulous as a baddie. Why has she never played a part like this before? I think it's because otherwise Judy Dench and Maggie Smith were available, but they weren't in this instance. So here she comes. <laughs> it's her big moment. I don't think Judy Dench is available anymore. If you saw that <laughs> Louis through thing, she can't read, she's going blind yeah. and can't read scripts anymore. The cast is brilliant. As I say, Stanley Tucci is brilliant. It's very... Reacher, James Bond, all mixed in with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And the first episode basically only follows Mason. So I'd watch the second to see if we see more of Nadia. And we do, but not hugely. But it surprised me that we get to them interacting and stuff very quickly. So it happens in the second episode. If you're watching the first, you think, are we going to spend the whole season with them apart? And no, they skip to that bit very quickly. It is going to be about their interactions and their past and and things you can see the money you the tech and the stanley tucci when he has kidnapped um mason and he says oh you all your memories were uploaded into this and it's all in this chip and you can inject it back into you because you've all got a chip in your neck and just inject this into your neck and all your memories will come back and it's all very advanced and it's everything that you would assume something like a James Bond or Bourne would be. I think it's not humorous enough. I don't know if that's Richard Madden. I don't know if it's, he's playing it because he doesn't know who he is, but he feels very flat. I wanted him to be more charismatic and more wisecracking and, you know, I suppose a bit more like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy guy. What's his name? 
Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yeah, a bit more sort of a, of that kind of a, a lead. It's he's a bit pole faced. But I'm here for uh, Priyanka Chopra Jones as a as a killer spy. I was more interested in her fight scenes. I was like, yes. I want to know is when are there going to be these chubby middle aged female spies? That's the that's the films I want to see. I'm fed up of all these sexy young people. <laughs> well, I didn't see it, but there was a Sky sitcom where Mel and Sue played Hitman, yes, I which did I missed. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was quite good. <laughs> but I mean, I, I was uh, visiting my in-laws yesterday and I recommended it very highly to my father-in-law because he loves all that kind of stuff. So I think it's right up his street. So if you're that kind of person who loves that kind of thing, I don't think it's going to let you down. If you love the whole spy, you know, world domination, evil cabal. I was a bit worried, though, that the premise of it does feed into uh, conspiracy theorists a bit with the whole there's eight families in charge of everything evil in the world. And this is Citadel who are in charge of everything good in the world. I'm sure some people will take it as a documentary. It's very sort of like simplistic, isn't it? I think the two organisations are boiled down to the essentials. Goodies versus baddies. Yeah. Everything uh, good in the world, Citadel is responsible. Everything bad, Manticore is responsible. I mean, Manticore is very, very spectre from James Bond as well, down to Mm -hmm. their little symbol that they've got. Oh, yeah, they've got a little symbol and everything. What about you, Sarah? God, this has been done, hasn't it? Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't understand how, with so many complicated info dumps, so much convoluted history, that this programme can still be as dumb as shit. (laughs) But it manages to do both. I'm not sure, quite sure that I agree with Dawn on the money because that train looked like a wobbly set from Red Dwarf to me. If they wanted it to look so futuristic that it just looks wobbly. I've never been in a train tunnel where the lights flash in that sort of beautiful greeny blue light before, but maybe that's because I'm not travelling first class. <laughs> this isn't for me. I mean, I can see why Stanley Tucci is great in this because... He's quick. He's funny. He's allowed to be funny. You know, I, the other people are all very po-faced. Yeah, it's dumb. And yet I left the second episode on. And do you know why? Because I know part of it was filmed in Birmingham. <laughs> I was going to say because you couldn't find the remote. Yeah, well, there was an element of that. It does feel like something that if you were stuck under a weighted blanket on a Sunday afternoon, you would just leave it on. So I did spot as they leave the officers in New York. They're running out, and that is 103 Colmore Row, which is the tallest building in Birmingham, with a restaurant called Arel at the top of it, which is you know, highly recommended. Very nice, posh place. <laughs> There's a riot scene at some point, and that was filmed in Birmingham. We're very proud of that. But I'm not. I'm gonna just pop that into YouTube and see if anyone's found it because I'm not sticking around for it. <laughs> this is going to really offend Sarah. <laughs> with all that money, Birmingham. <laughs> They've got to make cost efficiencies somewhere, haven't they? <laughs> Have they? <laughs> it sounds like it. It just seems a bit odd. If it was sort of based in the UK. Yeah, I, I thought a lot more of the production was going to be based in the UK because of them using Birmingham for for some street locations. So, yeah. No, I thought it was a bit odd as well, especially when he told me how much money was involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a bit odd. I went off on a bit of a tangent here. The Amazon do, at the moment, own the rights to James Bond and... I don't know if you've seen, they've got coming up a like James Bond reality show where Brian Cox is like playing like an M type fit. Have you seen this? No. no. <laughs> so this is this made the news because this is sort of Brian Cox's first thing after doing Succession. As far as I understand, he's like guiding these people on like James Bond-esque missions from like Mission Control. So he's sort of playing character and then it's like people run around. But my point is that this almost feels like they wanted to sort of do James Bond without doing James Bond. And I'm thinking if you've got the right to make like James Bond programs, which I believe they have, why wouldn't you have, you know, like a character from the James Bond universe rather than. I, you know, the... I will say that I know exactly why that is. And that's the Barclays because they're very, very careful with what they do with licensing mm. James Bond stuff. And they always have been. So I guess yeah. this is exactly why. This is its own. I don't know what the deal is there in terms of what Amazon are allowed to do with those rights and things like that. Maybe there was a conversation because this does feel. I'm I'm sure that the contract is very restrictive. (laughs) This feels (laughs) like at some point, perhaps it was pitched as a James Bond thing, perhaps because of all the similarities. 
we've already discussed. Earlier today, I read a review from The Guardian which described this as televisual crack, which I think is like what Sarah was, <laughs> Sarah was getting on, like, you know, if you are under that blanket and you want... Because, I mean, I don't mind things like this. It's not, like, my preference, you know, action, uh, adventure stuff, but... No, but I think if I had to choose, if there was a gun to my head... Um, <laughs> or many guns. Many guns. <laughs> That it would have to be Reacher because it was just it was, it was it's silly, a bit but lighter. It was silly and it was funny yeah. with it, you know. It was quippier, you know. They give Stanley Tucci all of that because they know he can do that in his sleep. And is there's that yeah. scene where he's playing Guess Who with people just before he assassinates them, basically. <laughs> and as we mentioned, the brilliant Leslie Manville as the villain as well. And it's just like. I don't want to focus on the boring, pretty people. I want to no. watch the character actors like living their best life because those are the scenes. I was never bored while watching it. I think it was really well paced. I think after that opening scene. Yeah, after you know, the train fight where he takes ages, just hit someone in a toilet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe he should have come to Birmingham. We could have given him a few lessons in smacking <laughs> someone about in a train toilet. <laughs> <laughs> It got to the point and was always moving with the plot and everything. And I think it took a while to sort of connect the characters, but not too much, you know, like Leslie Manville on the phone to these, like Swedish, were they, the twins? Oh, no, they've got lovely beards. Scandinavian, let's say they're Scandinavian <laughs> twins, both played by the same actor, which probably, again, cost a lot of money, you know, doing the technology where we have to clone the <laughs> but actor. But that's why they couldn't afford London. <laughs> rather than rather than finding twins to act, we'll just clone the same act. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Other things have done this better and for cheaper money. The things that would keep me around are the performances from Stanley Tucci and especially Leslie Manville, who I just, I just thought was brilliant in this. <laughs> It's gradually being released on Prime. So, yeah, so that's Citadel. Moving on to something completely different now, ITVX and PBS's uh, new adaptation of Henry Fielding's novel Tom Jones. This was first adapted into a film in the 1960s, and I believe there's been a couple of adaptations since then. Sarah will just uh, run us through the basic plot before we get into it. Um, So Tom Jones was written in 1749. I like to think that I'm quite a literary person, but this has passed me by. Um, but people may know it from the 1997 TV adaptation, which featured Max Beasley, Brian Blessed and Samantha Morton. I mean, that sounds worth going back to, doesn't it? Tom is played by a relative newcomer called Solly McLeod. Oh, damn. Scottish name. Help. McLeod. McLeod. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I should have asked before. He is fit. And his character is very kind and wears his heart on his sleeve. And I can imagine this lad's going to be very popular. So the voiceover is warm and engaging right at the beginning. This is Sophia. She is his counterpart. We imagine they're going to get together. Probably this is like the ship that this is all working towards. Tom is a foundling. He is mysteriously left in his adopted dad's bed. This is Squire Allworthy, played by James Fleet, who is, of course, a lovely man. He gets an unexpected baby cousin called William, who is a prig, just like his dead dad. Uh, William calls him brutish and says things like, your birth condemns you. The animosity here is very much what we would call in the trade the Poldark setup. Tom is wild. He doesn't like school. He goes off to learn from the knee of a poacher, Black George. And Tom is stuck sort of halfway between gentleman and commoner. Like Pip in Great Expectations, only Tom is having a lot more fun. And the whole thing is just more fun than the sort of period dramas we've seen recently. It's quite light and fluffy, despite serious subjects. There's no harm in nice, and it's a nice change from gritty realism. Sophia is the heiress who is back in the countryside. She's played by Sophie Wilde. They mutually really fancy each other, quite obviously. Her family are Alan Armstrong and Shirley Henderson. The casting here is excellent. And Hannah Waddingham is due to turn up in future episodes, which is real. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tom has got together with the poacher's daughter, Molly. Um, Molly has big plans for their future. He's trying to be honourable and so sort of falls into line when it's clear that she's in the family way. His aunt Bridget preaches kindness and good company. Um, his mum definitely found the nicest family to leave him with. And yet yeah, unwed mothers are threatened with the house of correction, even by the kindly magistrate. So Tom is banned from marrying Molly when they find out what's happened. Uh, so his way is clear for other conquests. And it's not clear in this episode, but we do follow him to London where there's quite a few conquests, apparently. Uh, not to say that this is all like silly romp, though. He and Sophia connect over their difficult and lowly births. It's made much of that she was born into slavery and was uh, made free and and came to the the UK. Um, It tackles race and racism head on. So the usual critical voices of diverse casting in period dramas can 100% definitely shut the hell up on this one. It was easy. It was fun. It was charming. It was cute. More of this, please. I am. I watched the film years and years ago, and it does focus on the bawdiness of it, and you know it has fun with the story. This, I think, because it's a full part adaptation. Obviously, it's taking its time to get there. It's not as irreverent as I would have liked it to be, perhaps. But I think, obviously, it's it's appealing to a a more mainstream audience, perhaps, and. In America, and obviously Mo would speak to this, the PBS audience, I believe, is quite sort of buttoned up and expect, expects a certain thing from British dramas, I think. I would say that the, the supporting cast that you mentioned all play characters that, you know, they could play in their sleep. As you said, James Fleet plays the kindly, you know, like he's a magistrate, isn't he? That's right, um, yeah. And Alan Armstrong plays the slightly sort of unaware older statesman, uh, the grandfather to Sophia. Shirley Henderson playing slightly against type because she's not a complete weirdo in this normally. She just plays offbeat characters. And Felicity Montague, again, playing like the slightly kooky aunt character, again, a character she could play in her sleep. But I thought Solly McLeod's captivating screen presence, as you say, a newcomer, but you sort of felt for Tom straight away. I really felt for him when he found out that the baby he thought was his and he'd do the honourable thing by the poacher's daughter and then he'd find out, oh no, she has known many men in the, in the local area. Um, the chemistry between the two leads I thought was really strong and you need that for something like this. It's sort of a will they, won't they, I think, because as you say, you know, he goes to London, I believe she follows him. It looks fantastic. It's very traditional, but I think the leads really captivated me, as you mentioned Hannah Waddingham later to come in. I believe she's like a matchmaker for Sophia, but basically falls for Tom as well. And there's some liaison between those characters as well. But yeah, I think I think I will keep up with this. It's four episodes in total. It is, I think, like um, Franny Langton as well. I think ITV X are doing well in these costume dramas with a bit of a twist, with a bit of a sort of a wink in their eye and characters that you want to spend time with so yeah no I I enjoyed it I think what about you Dawn? I, I agree it, it reminds me of the 70s films there was I think there was three of them about the uh three musketeers um with oh, Michael yeah. York and Charlton Heston and things they're my husband's favorite films and it has that same kind of rom- light feel about it but I have a big query about the central aspect of the plot which is in the original novel Sophie is highborn and that is the entire reason that their families disprove of their marriage because of of Tom's questionable parentage and and she is fully highborn whereas here they haven't chosen to do colorblind casting where uh, Sophia is not white and but it's never mentioned here they've made her heritage part of the plot but in doing so they've then made her an equal to Tom because she uh, was born to a, a slave woman and uh, her father was the was the highborn. So I'm a bit confused why they've completely changed that dynamic. 
and what then is going to be the reason that their families want to keep them apart because they're both I think because she still is the heir to a fortune whereas he's Mm. not she was still born into this family she's the granddaughter still isn't she because her father was his son whereas Tom you know as Sarah said is the cuckoo in the nest he agreed to take him on James Fleet's character uh, despite knowing you know he's he was born from a, the local SWAT, basically. <laughs> like the, <Yes. laughs> the, the girl who can read in the village, how did she come into the family way? You know, he made the decision to raise this boy, even though he's not him and he won't inherit the fortune, while she will still inherit the fortune and is biologically part of the family, even though, you know, she is of a different race and she feels differently because of how she looks, whereas feels differently because of how he was born so they've got that connection but she is still an heiress I think that's it's more building up their connection as other than just they fancy each other which is in the book is pretty much what it is you know when they first meet but yeah I think the casting is definitely the best part I'll, I will definitely keep watching it because I want to see Hannah Waddingham eat up the the screen as as the this quite a outlandish woman so I'm, I'm looking forward to that I'm, I'm not sure I fell for Tom the way I would like to you know but if it's his first big part perhaps... even though the actor was born in Scotland or when I was yeah. just reading his bio <laughs> well with the McLeod as a surname yeah. yeah definitely I don't know if it's just because I don't I don't find him attractive I don't know yeah uh, but I he's, think... a, he's a bit square jawed a bit like, yeah yeah he looks like a poster come to life like he's you know boy bands <laughs> Not even that. Boy no, bands no, would generally just have like softer features. I don't know. He's very classically good looking, but he's not doing it for me either. No. I would have liked him to be a bit more, get that roguishness coming across. You know, I was thinking about Casanova and, and you know, when David Tennant with Casanova and how he portrayed that really rakish guy. So I would like a bit more than that, but I think it's so, it's very sunny looking and very, Right, you know, when you compare it to Great Expectations, which is very washed out and dark and, and dingy, and this is very light and romping in the hay kind of thing. And this is written by uh, Gwyneth Hughes, who has done a lot of period drama. She did a Vanity Fair in 2018. I'm not sure. I didn't, I didn't see that one. You know, she's done this sort of thing before, but I think this had like a modern edge to it. And I think we, we've all enjoyed it. There's four episodes in total. Uh, They're all up on ITVX uh, from Thursday. Uh, We are now moving on to jury duty. This is a interesting sort. I don't know. How would you describe this, Dawn? Have you watched all of this now, (laughs) Dawn? Dawn has watched all of this. This is basically, it's been on for a few weeks. I've seen other people talking about it. It was a secret show because it was on Freevee. It's been a a bit of a word of mouth thing. Uh, Dawn's watched it. So do you want to just talk us through the basic? It was Amy Beth from the site, actually, that two weeks ago messaged me and said, you have to watch this, Dawn, you're going to love it. And I wasn't convinced at first when she told me the premise. But so um, hopefully I will, I will do it justice in the, in the, the selling of it. Um, Ronald Gladden is 29 and a project manager in Home Depot. He answers a advert in Craigslist looking for people to take part in a documentary about the process of being a juror. The showmakers claim they are going to have the first people to have access to filming the entire process of a a trial libel trial it's not a a criminal trial and uh, they're going to film all the jury and just to to see what it's like little does ronald know this is not in fact the case it is a, a reality show a prank show it is a setup none of it is real everybody else that ronald meets is an actor from the judge to the other jurors to the bailiffs to the defendant and the and the um lawyers they are all actors and he is being put in the middle of it to be tested basically lots of things will go wrong and go weird over the course of this trial and it's to see how he this every man reacts Thankfully, I, I'm assuming they did some checking on Ronald's background before they uh, cast him because it um, could have gone horribly wrong, but it goes very well and better than they expect. From the start, James Marsden, act, uh, actor from X-Men and Sonic, as he keeps reminding us, uh, is one of the jurors who's picked. He plays a fantastically awful version of himself um, 
and in his process of trying to get out of jury duty, he hires um, fake paparazzi to come to the court and take pictures, which then forces the judge to sequester the entire jury to give the, the show a reason to keep keep Ronald on site. He has to give up his phone and his um, any technology so that he can't you know, access the internet or the outside world. And in doing so, they can put him in various situations that they couldn't do if he went home. They create a myriad of personalities of the jury with him, from Todd, the weird invention guy who makes chair pants and out of two crutches and has a wants to get um a food source grafted onto his back that he just sucks on for for um sustenance. <laughs> <laughs> to Jeannie, who's the kind of good time girl who has decided she is going to corrupt Noah, who is a kind of geeky guy. Um, with a girlfriend who's gone away to Cancun with her friends and he's worried uh, about what's going to happen and, and uh, Jeannie is stirring that pot. <clears throat> and we have Nikki, the bailiff, who's in charge of all of them, trying to keep them in line and trying to... Various things happen over the course of, I think it's 10 episodes, that push the buttons of, of Ronald to see how he will react in the first first instance. One of the jurors is injured and taken away. He is tested to see whether he will cover for James Marsden about the fact that, that James Marsden has brought in this fake paparazzi. He's also, a, from what I read, Todd, the inventor guy, was actually supposed to be a, a real antagonist. And, the, and keep him out, they have adjoining rooms in the hotel that they're put up in and they had hoped it would really freak Ronald out. But as it turns out, Ronald takes him under his wing and <laughs> makes him watch the film A Bug's Life and says, look, you're like that character. And people who are ahead, thinking ahead, are often treated badly by society. He is so good that I really genuinely spent the first few episodes and still to this day thinking, he must be an actor. He must be. But they are sticking to the truth that he's a real person and he, they just picked a, a perfect guy who reacts to things better than they could have imagined. They had a setup in the, the start when Noah uh, is trying to get out of being in jury and he says, what do people say when they want to get out of jury duty? And Ronald says, oh, I only know what happened in Family Guy. And he's like, oh, well, what was that? And he said, oh, Peter says he's a, a racist. And Noah tries this out on the, uh, <laughs> on the jury selection. And we find out later on, you know, at the conclusion of all this, that that was a storyline they put in and then written out because they thought, no way is Ronald going to say that spontaneously. And he did. So they they were things that they just hoped would happen and he took them on further than they could have dreamed. It's very heartwarming and funny and silly. All the stuff that happens is ridiculous. But, you know, we've all experienced weird stuff in life. It's just so happens that he experiences it all in the space of a week. Actually, it's three weeks it takes place in. I hate pranks. Hate them. I hated Beatles about and all that stuff. So I was really worried about this and thought, I'm not going to like this. But it's so good-hearted that I just... I, I lost all my fear and just enjoyed it. He's become a bit of a cult hero, hasn't he, Ronald? I've seen he on is. social yes. media. And, and I think that's part of the reason I think I've seen quite a lot about this show sarah did did you get on with this i went in blind knew mm. nothing about it at all which i think is what people recommended unfortunately we're talking about it so never mind sorry guys <laughs> i hated it <laughs> hated it Re- i can't i'm did so you get sorry because one and dawn done is usually you? like on the level and i love dawn and respect <laughs> dawn and we align on so much <laughs> but this did this didn't make me laugh once. And then Luke <laughs> said something really positive about it. So I went, oh, I'll go back and I'll watch the second one because I am too quick to judge. And I know that I shouldn't be, especially not with comedies, especially not when there's quite an elaborate setup. You should always give that two or three episodes. But swear to God, watching this felt like a punishment for something that I didn't know what I've done. <laughs> Nothing happened. It was so bland. I think maybe the, the part that made me nearly chuckle was I didn't know who James Marsden was and neither did the jury and that was kind of the joke so (laughs) I had to look him up and then when the guy Tim falls and hurts himself and everybody is like 
almost like he's died. Everyone's saying lovely things about him and how they're going to miss him. And he was such a nice guy. And they all produced tiny paper cranes. And Ronald doesn't have one. That nearly made me laugh. But otherwise, <laughs> didn't do anything for me. It was like watching paint dry. It was the opposite of stuff happening. I think you have to sort of buy into that central conceit, don't you? And I, I very much sort of in the middle of you, really. <laughs> um, I think the interactions between Ronald and James Marsden were what made me laugh in the first episode. And I think like his reaction shots, maybe they relied on that a little bit too much. And there was that bit where they were going through, the people were saying why they couldn't be on the jury and they go to the old woman who just went, it's not my sort of thing. I thought that that was quite funny. But I didn't have that urge to go on. I, I if again, I possibly would have, these are only short episodes. And as I say, it sort of has become like a lot of these freebie shows, like uh, High School was the other one we watched, have become sort of cult hits. And I think maybe if you you know, you are with Ronald, then you want to give it, you know, and obviously Dawn, you obviously yeah. stuck a chord with, with with him and and obviously as you say, if there's if there's things where they don't know how he's gonna react and it is genuine reactions then and they have to change the course of things. That's an interesting angle perhaps. I sort of see where Sarah's coming from in a way. There wasn't a lot and I think the bit that I was what's the point of this is when the other characters were interacting with each other without Ronald being there and that almost felt like now we're just going into a completely invented show rather than and they were quick to any time these other characters had interactions you had to see Ronald is still on screen and is a little bit intrigued even though he's with James Marsden at the food van and that seemed to be the main story was the James Marsden thing in episode one, which, you know, I like because I do like things where actors are playing exaggerated versions of themselves. But I think you have to know who the actor is, Sarah. So maybe that was a little bit yeah. um, lost um, on you. Dawn, is there mm-hmm. any sort of like behind the scenes stuff that the audience gets to see and Ronald yeah. doesn't? Yeah, uh, but only in the, the final episode. I was glad they they sort of give over a whole episode to it. They they reveal what's happened in episode nine and there's a whole episode of what happened in the end or episode, maybe it's eight, actually, not ten. Anyway, uh, the final episode. And I think it would have been better. I mean, I'm I'm not saying I I didn't like it, but obviously it maybe if they'd interspersed that through the series so that you were really aware Mm. of how what they were doing. And I think that's exactly what yeah. I would have liked because yeah. when you were talking about like who he was, where he worked, the reveal, what they did behind the scenes, that sounds really interesting. I'd watch something about that, but the storyline of it itself was too bland for me. If they'd given me two or three minutes setup mm-hmm. and then like kept cutting to like the yeah, editing or something, that would have been like just a little bit more interesting, I think. Uh, there is a bit where James Marsden behaves badly. And Ronald is really quite upset by it and, and feels like down and he's like, whatever. So they had to rewrite it on the fly to make and then make James Marsden apologise and make up for it. And that, so that was interesting to see after the fact. It would have been even more interesting seeing it as it happened. Okay, yeah, I want I want to see the rewrites. I want to mm-hmm. see the slight panic behind the screens. You know, that would have been really fascinating. It adds jeopardy to it. Like, mm, oh, exactly. what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah. It is light and frothy and frothy, I can't say that word, and there's not much to it. Like, there are stuff that made me laugh, like James Marsden being completely oblivious to his fellow um, substitute juror who is is black. Mm. And he's like, and James Marsden's like, yeah, this is, I'm being treated as a different kind of person. It's awful. This is my first time as a, as a Hollywood star. You've never experienced that. How you, Lonnie? You know, very, they were, <laughs> it was heavy handed, but it was funny. <laughs> mm. I could see though people having um, watched this in one go and, and sort of enjoying themselves. And, you know, it is a concept that's been done before, but it has been done well here. And they've obviously thought about all the story beats. So yeah, that's Jury Duty. It is available on Freevee, which is, you watch that through Prime if people didn't know what Freevee was as well. The Coronation is coming up. There's a lot of Coronation-related programming. I believe there's something about the tailoring of the 
coronation outfits and all the you know charles blah 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 and um obviously channel four have got their anti sort of monarchy and frankie boyle's doing something about the monarchy and and there's obviously a two-part documentary about prince andrew as well because you know controversy uh, but we are looking at channel four's the windsors they've got a coronation special now guys the windsors had you watched it before were you completely yep. new into this Oh, that's great. You've not watched it before at all, sure. Dawn. I have watched and loved every episode, so. <laughs> and I've dipped in and out. So again, we've got sort of differing perspectives here. It's almost done like a soap opera, isn't it? I think that's the yeah. best way to describe it. Like these heightened characters, like the female characters are all, most of them anyway, are quite bitchy, aren't they? You know, you've got Pippa Middleton and Camilla and Meghan Markle to an extent. I believe she came in later on, didn't she? Charles is quite stupid Anne is almost like a ghoulish figure who just appears she's from nowhere <laughs> she's absolutely one of my, one of my favorites. she she pops up like a ghost yeah this is the coronation and we've got charles who's obviously been building up for this all his life camilla is waiting to you know drape herself in diamonds and fur and wear all these expensive jewels however you've got william there saying cost of living crisis going on um, him and Rishi Sunak have Princess Anne put in charge of financing the ceremony, which ends up being uh, in the, hol- I believe, the Holiday Inn in Slough. Charles takes the ultimate stand and puts William in an awkward position. Pippa Middleton, played by the brilliant Morgana Robinson, basically finding out that she's not been invited to the coronation because she's not a royal. And so she sort of goes to extreme lengths, let's just say, to uh, to get herself in there. Uh, we've got Harry and Meghan, who obviously have had the Netflix documentary and are now focusing on the simple life. There's obviously a lot of comedy to be mined from what Harry and Meghan have been up to for the last few years. And possibly my favourite storyline was Beatrice and Eugenie, who I absolutely loved it. It's like the minor royals who are eagerly awaiting a, a coronation invite organised this thing on TikTok to be like a sort of great British menu a celebration but only get sort of hate things about their father finally decide to move to york even though one of them thinks it's a made-up place sort of like narnia or wales and um reenact the railway children at the end which is sort of like <laughs> I, I do wonder how many people watching this would get that reference you know every comic trope about the royals is mined in this you know there's obviously they've got rishi sunak in there and there's some little jibes towards him nigel havers pops up as well (laughs) for no reason at the golf club dawn as a as a sort of virgin viewer of the windsors what did you make of it i did laugh a lot i have to say i did i wasn't sure because i you know i'm not hugely into like you i wasn't into spitting image or that kind of thing but i I wouldn't call this biting satire it's just very Mm. light satire but it just the cast is brilliant. Morgana Robinson was just genius in, in this. It's Pippa, who is trying to be uh, Sophie Wessex, was just hilarious. And Camilla, Hayden Wynn, I've loved since Drop the Dead Donkey. So I love her as Camilla. And the whole bit of her becoming Cruella de Vil was, <laughs> was just fantastic. Was a, it was silly and over the top, but it, it's just really funny. I'm interested to know, has, is Prince... Andrew in other episodes yes. of it. Prince oh, right, Andrew okay. was cast as a real person. We cannot show him anymore. Honestly, I found that a little bit disappointing because they oh, have yes. pushed the envelope before, but they kept him completely yeah. off screen this time. I wondered about that because I thought, oh, they're avoiding that. And, and you know, it seemed like they were being genteel. And I yeah. thought, no. Yeah, being... I thought they were. They definitely pulled their punches, which is disappointing mm-hmm. because this series has been absolutely evil, mm-hmm. deliciously evil before. This was a good C plus, I think. You know, they they did well. I'm sure their lawyers would have been watching very carefully. Yeah, uh, and I was delighted. It was a, a an a, the other one cast reunion with um, Ellie White, who plays I think she's Beatrice, and Amit Shah, who is playing uh, Rishi Sunak. Um, I love the other one, great series, BBC One. So, I mean, it's just a brilliant cast, very funny. I would have liked it to have been more satirical, more hard-hitting. So it uh, it did feel a bit lacking in that department. But I, I wasn't bored, and I certainly 
you know, if it comes on again, if there's a new series, I would watch it. I, I liked what they were doing. I think with... it's all on the, I was going to say all four, but it's now just called oh, Channel 4. Channel 4, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> it's 100%, it's definitely worth watching. I believe three um, series and uh, they did a special for the did they do Harry, a Jubilee special? Oh, yeah. And our Windsor's expert, Sarah, what did you make of it? See, I couldn't work out whether it was all killer, no filler, or that they'd put all the best bits before the first ad break. The Koh-i-Noor diamond was brilliant, where Wills is saying that Camilla's not allowed to wear it because it's an offensive reminder of privilege and empire, to which Camilla says, isn't that the whole point of the royal family? (laughs) William with his speech impediment, a bloody love constitutional crisis. Um, but then, yeah, his his out and about program, which in no way is exactly the same as the Duke of Edinburgh Award, was excellent. And honestly, I wrote down: Are the voices crazier? It's William and Eugenie and Beatrice all sounded even odder than I remember them. I liked the ferocious corgis, and that we always mm. saw. We never saw the dogs themselves. We saw it from feeding the them sushi point of view. as well. Feeding like the sushi. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And the first time we see Harry, of course, he's in the chicken coop. Um, and then how the lady at Netflix demands something royal from them or she wants her money back. And then she used them out of the office to take a call from the crown. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I just love to see them back, honestly. But it did feel like they were pulling their punches more so than I've seen them do before. And there's a distinct problem now. Well, it's always been a problem, but now more than ever, there's so much nonsense and so many ridiculous characters and scandals to try and fit in that they can't possibly mm. do justice to it. All. That's why they needed so, an hour. Exactly. <laughs> we didn't get to spend enough time with these crazy characters because there's a tribe of them. Um, it was nice to see Sophie because obviously she hasn't been used much before, if at all, because she's a very sort of little mousy character. So that was really funny. I mean, I liked Eugenie and Beatrice, their story at the beginning, but I thought it went... Off when the they road. went to York. <laughs> no, I wasn't bothered about that bit. I liked I like to see them on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, you know, like struggling because they've spent twenty thousand pounds on fascinators. I'm gonna put my serious head on for a minute. <laughs> what did you make to the representation of the great British public? I was basically? gonna ask that as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, that was very soft as well. Basically it saying like they we're all using food banks and can't afford our electric, but we still want you to spend crazy amount on the coronation because we've been yeah. looking forward to it. It. Just, it just seemed like a very nice get out clause so we don't have to be too mean to them. They got off quite lightly with that. Mm. I think they kind of weaseled out mm. of that a bit, which is disappointing. You know, are they poking fun at the sort of the double standards? Because I don't think they that's like exists as much as people think they do. I don't know. Do you think there's yeah. those double standards there with people? Yeah, I think that it's a perception of the UK mm. public, isn't it? That's not true, but the BBC definitely Because I just it. think there's a, a general sense of apathy. You know, it's nice to have the bank holiday, but that's about it, really. I think um, like even that, frankly, we've had too many bank holidays and I've got a lot of work to do this month and I can't be doing all these bank holidays. <laughs> I, I think looking at the shops, they seem to be thinking that everybody's going to be buying coronation themed everything. And, uh, you know, we live in an in SNP area of Scotland. Apparently, their street is having a street party. So, all, all your countrymen was, have been slagging <laughs> off, you know, they've had to take the proclaimers off the Spotify playlist. <laughs> well done, the proclaimers. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure what they were trying to say with the the, the, mm. the real you know the the people you know and especially the fact that that one of them was a little person and you know like you say they're trying to say how much we go against our our better interests you know that the mm. the people who are treated the worst by government and aristocracy um are the ones who go yeah but they're jolly and and I have to say I'm on a few Facebook groups for bargains i have to <laughs> so it's people looking for bargains and a lot of them seem to be really yay the coronation and you're like you're the people with the least amount of money so maybe it's an accurate depiction but it did feel like it was saying at the end you see we all do love the royal mm. really but and was it a plot like device a, as well you know because yeah, they're trying like to satirize to that whereas everything else you know as you say it's it's very broad strokes it, it's jokes that everyone's made it does sort of 
it's the sort of style of like the airplane or naked gun you know the, mm-hmm. the zuckers yeah. abrahams we need to get a joke in every 30 seconds sort of humor which i love and i think actually putting it with the frankie boyle thing which they're both on tonight as we record on sunday so i think it's a nice contrast i think to what frankie boyle will do let's just say that so i think <laughs> it, it makes sense that they've got this you know which is poking fun but not too much you know not going too deep i think rishi sunak got off quite lightly as well mm-hmm. into yeah. <laughs> what they did with yeah. him but you know i had fun with it i think it's the perfect comedy i will i think it's made me want to go back and i think maybe that will happen with a lot of people like possibly dawn as well yeah possibly this will be their first exposure to the windsors because it's on nine o'clock on a sunday night and i think before it's hidden away on friday nights wasn't it mm. we all have fun with this good cast a lot of gags and the perfect way i think to celebrate the coronation without having to watch loads of hugh edwards and <laughs> kirsty young again a, a welsh person and a scottish person headline. <laughs> <laughs> and the news like oh tom cruise is going to be part of the coronation concert why <laughs> i do want to see brian may and the squirrels oh really yeah that was another great that. gag yes, wasn't it that was he's just been on the on the roof since on the, roof. the jubilee yeah the jubilee <laughs> So yeah, that's that's us done for this week. Thanks uh, so much for listening. We will be back next week with uh, Silo and Black Ops as well. But for now, that is uh, all from us this week. Uh, thank you very much and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. <laughs>